Welcome to Element 3 Church. I'm Pastor Scott. I'm so excited you're joining us today for the best ever. Woo, woo, woo. Thanks, thanks for those who are filling in on that. Let's try it one more time now that we know the routine. Hi, I'm Pastor Scott. Welcome to Element 3. I'm so glad you joined us today. You're here for the best and those online, thanks for joining us as well. Now, here's the bummer, okay? Don't hate the messenger, and don't even hate the message, okay? Because all the grandmas for this best day ever are coming at 11 a.m., and that was unavoidable due to travel constrictions. So unfortunately today, you get a longer sermon. And you get some extra worship this morning. Thanks, worship team, for awesome worship. We'd love for you to join us again. And we'll also, yeah, absolutely. Let's give the worship team a round of applause real quick. I'd love for you to keep your seat with your jackets or your Bibles or your coffee cups and come back in the second service. But if you can't, we will try and record this and then post the different baptisms to our social media outlets after the service. Again, if you have to blame someone, blame some grandmas, Okay. Don't blame me for this, friends, but in all honesty, we're excited to talk through why baptism. And baptism is one of those words that is a, gives you just an image in your brain immediately because of your experiences with it. I remember as a young man dating this beautiful girl named Carissa, and I said the word baptism, and she immediately thought of this type of baptism, but in my Methodist bringing, which is very holy, by the way, I thought of the little sprinkling baptism. And the word baptism then caused us to have one of our very first and only fights in our marriage. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? See, theology and baptism matters. The best way to be a theologian is to question with holy eyes, also realizing where eyes are, are, can be sinful and can have different perspectives at the same time. So it's problematic when we have words like baptism. And we have preconceived notions about both the sacrament and the covenant that we have going on here this morning. So with that in mind, because of the different preferences we may have in our baptism, the temperature of the water, the amount of water, how much water, we're going to play a little game called this or that. Thanks for the round of applause. Okay, so whenever I'm in game show mode, I expect applause. Okay, do I need to put an applause signs in the back here? Okay, so we're going to play a little game called this or that. Here's how we're going to go. I'm going to say two different items. You may want to wait for the second one, but if you love the first one so much that so you don't even care what the that is, you just hoot and holler, okay? This is your hoot and holler sermon, okay, folks? This isn't Jeopardy. This is hoot and holler. Then after I say both items, I'll say the same set of items a second time, and then you can give a round of applause for it's either this or that. Everybody understand? So here we go. San Francisco or Kansas City? San Francisco, applause. Kansas City applause. We'll test that in a moment, don't worry. Steak or shrimp? Steak, my people, or shrimp? I resign immediately. Mike Norvell or Jimbo Fisher? <laughs> there you go. Norvell or Fisher? <laughs> That's perfect, y'all. That's perfect. How about Bobby Bowden? 
There we go. Okay, yeah, a couple for them. Okay. Travis Kelsey or Taylor Swift? Kelsey. Are you serious? Or Swift? We're going to have a talk afterwards. You who had the screaming. Here's a fun one. Snowstorm. There we go. There's the first one for snowstorm or hurricane. You have to pick this or that. I know it's a hard one. Snowstorm. Y'all are insane. Y'all are insane. Again, I resign immediately. Or hurricane. All right, here's the last one. Ready? Valentine's Day or Ash Wednesday. Selfish plug time, friends. Come back, Valentine's Day Eve, 7 p.m. We will have a wonderful service of ashes and repentance on the Holy Love Day. We would love to have you join us. Okay, thanks for playing this or that. See, that's fun, it's fun. See, there are nuances, there are preferences to all our theologies, whether we believe it or not. Some of us believe certain things about God, how God may look, strapping bald guy, or strapping bearded guy, or God may look completely different in your mindset. But theology as a core discipline involves faith. And we have to have that same type of faith and understanding when it comes to baptism. And baptism isn't a this or that. In fact, it tends to be one of the nuances that even in many denominations, but even E3 puts on this event. We put a lot of ideas into this moment. And there's a difference between this Sunday and every other Sunday we do at E3. Because every other Sunday, we would never want it to focus on one person. It becomes dangerous when a sermon or a service revolves around one person and that person becomes somehow elevated among everybody else. Friends, we are all equal in this room. Amen? But on Baptism Sunday, all of a sudden becomes about one person and we can celebrate that because it is such a unique moment and a unique expression of one's faith. Because why baptism? We're commanded to by Jesus, by the Great Commission. We don't have tattoos or piercings or circumcision or any other mark that will make you Christian or not. It's not a this or that. But it would be helpful in some ways if all Christians had some sort of identifiable uniform like this one. I mean, if we all looked like that, it would be easy to know how we're living our lives and how to keep each other accountable because I'd look and say, hey, you're a Christian, good. Hey, you're a Christian. And over here, no, you're not. You're not wearing the uniform. No, we don't do that. Christians don't have a certain look about them. And in some ways, it is the sense that baptism is a physical act of becoming and identifying as a believer. When we go in these waters, it's like we put on a uniform. It is, as many would state, the outward sign of an inward belief. But interestingly, Scripture doesn't say how much water is enough, the quality of the water, the age of the person becoming baptized, or really any other specific information about baptism. And yet, these are the details that modern churches seem to be infatuated with. I've been in churches where they say, have they had the right class? Have they had the baptism class, right? Do they know their testimony? Is it on baptism Sunday? Or do just people come out of the congregation and get baptized in a willy-nilly kind of baptism service? Are we sprinkling or are we dunking? And I must state that the trauma of being told that your baptism was right or wrong is a very real thing. This Sunday challenges us all to reflect upon our own confirmation, baptism, or any moment of confession. My question for all of us here is, have you taken that leap of faith? 
Today, as we prepare to take part in baptism, I want to stretch all our theologies and discern in our hearts why we are baptized and maybe we're baptized for the right reasons and the right time based on Scripture. Because in Acts 19, we're going to get into some Scripture that challenges us all as we wrestle with why baptism and not some sort of other rite or event. With that, let's start at verse 1. The apostle uh, Luke writes this, While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Ephesus was on the western coast of Asia Minor, and the mouth of the river between the two mountain ranges and the Aegean Sea was very strategic for the Roman Empire. It was founded, though, way before the Roman Empire, about 1100 B.C., And the city was Alexander the Great's first big conquest around 334 BC and then was given peacefully over to the Romans to avoid being destroyed. It therefore was made a great capital for the Roman province of Asia. And so all these different people would come to the city for a variety of different reasons. However, Ephesus still maintained political importance and had a ton of idol worship. One of the seven ancient wonders of the world was the temple was dedicated to Artemis. And so it is out of this context that Paul comes and sees just some disciples just hanging out. He doesn't know how they're identified, but maybe the Spirit tells them, hey, these are Jesus' followers, more or less. But watch their dialogue here in verse 2. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied, this question and this dialogue assumes two things. Number one, they thought they were believers. And number two, they were baptized. Paul held that the mark of a believer was not being baptized or saying you're a believer, but it's a mark of the Holy Spirit being inside of you. Wrestle with that just for a moment. See, they're referring to John the Baptist's teaching on baptism. Yet the Greek in Paul's direction here shows that he sees their believers based on discussion. They're missing a key component, a key ingredient, the Holy Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit? As a picture here illustrates, it's exactly this, right? (laughs) We love the idea of who God and Jesus are. I mentioned it earlier. We have this idea of who God is in our brains. God usually, for most people, when you ask, what does God look like? They're like a bald guy with a cool beard. Maybe muscular, maybe not, right? That's, That's what we're brought up with. What does Jesus look like? Oh, he has a cool, awesome beard, long, flowing Pantene Pro-V hair, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he is shampooed, and his teeth are sparkling white. Friends, remember, Jesus didn't have toothbrushes. Jesus mainly ate fish and bread and drank wine, and there's no toothbrushes at all. His teeth are not so sparkly white. They did not have Pantene Pro-V back then. His hair may not be perfect, but the real point of this is, is that you can't put a picture of what the Holy Spirit looks like in your brain, right? I say, picture the Holy Spirit, and most of you are like, you make this kind of sound in your brains, like there's just nothing there. This could be a whole sermon series, and I'd like it to be someday. The Spirit is the third part of this trinity, but it biblically gives encouragement, gives words, gives insight, and it's the seal of your salvation, If you have the spirit inside of you, if that spirit is moving, churning, working, you'll know you're saved. And friends, even though I don't have a uniform on, you can tell when someone has a spirit. You know when something's going on, and it's not equal among everyone. It's not that you can speak in tongues or interpret the tongues. 
is that you have this extra spiritual part of you that is doing work in prompting you towards your salvation because it sanctifies. The Spirit does miracles. If you think miracles are not happening today, sign up to go to Guatemala. Sign up and go across the world to places like India and China where the Spirit is doing miracles every single second of every single day. And yes, the Spirit does prompt some to speak in tongues. And yes, I affirm that those tongues sometimes are real. And yes, sometimes those tongues are used for false things. See, the Spirit is not just one of these things. And the Spirit, most importantly, cannot survive in isolation. But too often, the contemporary church assumes that the Spirit gives tongues or some still small voice. Only those two things. But the Spirit cannot survive in isolation. What do I mean by that? It means that if you do not have the Holy Spirit in you and a group of people do not have the Spirit, the Spirit can't survive there. It needs to be in and unison with one of us symbiotically. And it's a beautiful way in which God brings out the redemption for each and every person who calls in the name of Jesus Christ. But too often the power, the presence, and the proliferation excuse me, of the Spirit of God has been sucked out of the Western church due to bad politics, bad theology, and attempt to control the church. My last denomination I served in, we had, of course, we had the Bible, right? And everybody referenced the Bible as the word of God. And we, yes, amen, okay, cool, we believe that here. But they also had this amazing orange book. And they called it the orange book because it was a book of church polity and discipline. And the Bible, you know, was this tall. The book of discipline and orange book was like this tall. And it had all these regulations and you'd have to have huge committees to come in and change the book and go back point 1A, and then you have to go to point 19B and page 274. And all of these rules sucked out the creativity, the inspiration, and the work of the Holy Spirit. What the nice folks who made these kind of books, and what we try to do as Christians is we want to define who's in the club. Instead, Paul asked, have you been transformed? And not only that, but the continual act of being transformed. What's remarkable about baptism is that from Jesus' day on, the fact of being in water was always happening. Can you fathom that each time you bathe or shower, you're reminded of your baptism? Just as when we eat and drink, can we recall that Lord's Supper? I think they use these items as very strategic in bringing about the church that every time we are around water, raining outside today. We should be reminded that God is working through these waters in transforming me continually, not just a one-time event, but day by day, moment by moment. See, repentance is one thing, but being continually transformed and being reminded of that transformation is quite another. It isn't a this or a that. This is a full-on transformation of yourself and every preference about you. Verse four, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. In Paul's mind and in Luke's description, this was not a rebaptism, but it was the first true baptism. 
But there's also a clear distinction between water baptism and more important piece of baptism, that is the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's a huge contrast here between the baptism of John and the baptism of the Spirit. See, they both use water, right? But in John's, it was about repentance. It's about saying, I'm going to take away my sin, and that's a big part of this. And it's an inclusion in the club. We're John's disciples. We're followers of John the Baptist. But in Jesus, when you come in that water, it's submission to Jesus. Not repentance necessarily only, but it's submission to Jesus. And that spirit comes upon you and says, okay, we're going to start this undoing of what you want in your life, and I'm going to remake your life into what it truly needs to be, a whole new life. One of prophecy, of power, and of transformation. What traditional views on baptism, both in infant and believers, is that it's to join a club. It's a popularity contest. I remember working at a church in Boys Town, Nebraska. And this place called Boys Town had all these young boys and young women who were in this place because of a variety of traumatic and hard things in their lives. And when they were told the good news of Jesus, because I taught them this idea of Protestant theology, which is a whole other topic, but Protestant theology, whatever that means, and we were talking about baptism, they're like, well, I want to be baptized, I want to be baptized. I'm like, okay, why do you want to be baptized? Well, I want to transform my life, I want to have a new spirit, absolutely, absolutely. And we found that as these first few very popular teens started getting baptized, every week people wanted to be baptized because they wanted to be a part of what was going on here. That's not necessarily bad. When you get baptized, it's to be inspirational for those who see it. Your baptism should echo through every single moment of every single day of your life, right? But when it becomes a part of being a part of a club, a part of a clique that I've been baptized, it's all sudden about you and not about him. See, I'll tell you who's been baptized in this room by the way in which they live their life for Jesus, for those who are infused by the Holy Spirit. As I've aged, I've realized, and I've noticed that there's a visible distinction between those who attend church, even baptized in the church, and those who have the Holy Spirit in and among them. Why is this important? Because the Holy Spirit isn't a one-time verb, a passive pronoun, or even a forgotten God. The Spirit of God is the most powerful, most changing part of God, and we as a modern church spend with the least time. A spirit-driven church can overcome any obstacle, transform into giving new life of every single person, and unlock gifts and abilities in persons that frankly scare the hell out of them. Baptism realigns one's soul, saying that they are willing to accept the spirit's baptism alongside the physical. And let me tell you, the spirit baptism is so much more important than the water, the words, or any element we use today. So why baptism? Because the physical act of submission boldly and communally invites the spirit in and transforms a person completely holy. Baptism isn't a one-moment thing. It isn't a singular event. It says that my life is no longer my own and that God is my all in all. I've seen infant baptism place a spirit of God upon parents' decision to offer up their infant not for the infant, but for the parents, to be clear. Similarly, teenage confirmation can bring that same spirit upon the teen. Though scripture and doctrine differ, the allegiance on the spirit 
does not allow you to play this or that. It is essential or non-essential in the Christian faith. With that in mind, I want you to analyze your own life and wonder, where did my baptism come from? Was it from tradition? Someone else trying to follow and be cool? Wanting to be a part of a club? Or does it come from a desire to be transformed by the Holy Spirit? This morning, we have three young women who are saying that they have been both transformed and want to be transformed continually through following Jesus. But it only comes through all of us working together and doing that. Because when they proclaim their faith in God through baptism, it's up for all of us to remember our own and to help sanctify them along their way towards salvation. I have no doubt that when they share in this baptism in 11 o'clock, that the Holy Spirit will be upon them. We're going to transition in that and watch the video of their testimonies of why they want to be baptized. And I want you to specifically be praying for these three girls, women, young women, as they go through their week, as they go through their years, Because when you identify as a believer and the spirit comes upon you, the enemy also wants to make a mark of you. And they encourage you to walk alongside them day by day. Encourage them just out of the blue. Nothing better than a stranger saying, hey, God bless you. That's awesome. And to be with them as they walk each and every day in their life through our church and through the rest of their life. So with that, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna transition to watching the video. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this best day ever. And not that we play a game of this or that, that we can somehow get inside a club, but instead that we would be infused with the same spirit that will be upon these three women this here this morning, upon their families, upon their friends and relatives who come as guests, maybe hearing the gospel message for the first time, that they are in need of transformation. And that by living their life by their own ideas, by their own preferences, that they have somehow gotten to this point of saying, I need you, God. And I need to identify publicly that I need you. And through this baptism, we will see the Spirit and feel the Spirit and know through faith that the Spirit of the living God is upon them all the days of their lives. So in this, we bless this day and bless them who proclaim your name. Say together, amen.